Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Yes, hello. Uh, welcome to Script Shop. I'm Jack. I'm Allison. And, you know, uh, one of the great things about doing this show that we do is that we are friends IRL. That's true. We recently... We were friends first. We were friends first. We, we recently celebrated, I know exactly the day that we became friends. High five. It was January 9th of 2016. You know, when you sent me the clip of the incident. We were at a bar in Cincinnati and there was a very important Bengals football game going on that neither Allison nor I cared about. Not even one bit. And we had been ha- we had a lot of mutual friends but we hadn't really taken the time to actually speak to one another and this was like the first time that we actually talked to each other. Because yeah, we didn't care about what everybody else cared about. So exactly. you and I are just sitting outside drinking doing what people do, chit-chatting about things that were interesting and compelling. And it was this cataclysmic sports match that everyone else, all of our friends, like, lost their minds over. And we're just, like, (laughs) hanging out and making friends. I'll always remember that. Well, I brought this game up to Philip, telling him, hey, today's mine and Jack's friend friend anniversary." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) You could just see it all. The frustration. Yes. That's so good. I still don't care about that game. Not one bit. The reason that I bring up friendship is because that plays an important role in the script that we have for you this week. It's called Munier, and it's by Catalina Alvarez. And the the idea of friendship and specifically the the ability for uh, kids to make friends and how sometimes easier it is when you don't have all the stuff in your head as an adult. Uh, is really interesting and right. made, made me think about like you know just randomly meeting some other kid and thinking well we're friends now that's right and how easy that is to do as a kid as a kid yeah, yeah. Um, Mounier is a 13 page quiet and unlikely friendship story focusing on culture and innate talents absolutely yes that's exactly right yeah I'm really excited about this interview there's a lot of new themes to talk about here that I don't think we've touched on. Um, specifically in the past. And that's exciting, too, because we were also lucky enough to have this uh, film. This has been a produced short. Uh, this showed at this independent film festival yeah. this past August. Very unique, very uh, textural. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of lots of consideration and artistic thought that went into this piece. And we were totally honored to... You know, what's really beautiful is that throughout the reviewing process of the season, um, there's always an ebb and a flow. And there's this one point where, like, you see something new and unusual and unique and you go, ooh. Yeah, yeah, that okay. feeling. I think this is the first one from last year that I saw that I went, ooh. That's cool. Yeah. I distinctly remember it when you go, yes, I'm going to get to play this at the festival. Yes. That's very cool. And it's we're very neat. We're lucky and uh, grateful to have Catalina on, on the show. On the show. That's right. So uh, if you are somebody who has written something wonderful, interesting, and unique, and you'd like to send it to us, you can do that by going to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. You could also submit on filmfreeway.com as well. We love reading your stories, so get them to us so that we can figure out what's unique and interesting about you. And if you have written words that aren't necessarily in script form or any kind of like story, but you got some things you want to say to us, you can do that, I suppose, on the internet in other ways. I feel or, like this is just opening us up for all kinds of heartache. Well, 
I think it would be interesting if people just had to like get things off their chest. No, that's what the internet. That's what people are doing on the internet now, and it's that's true. largely bad. It's mostly bad. That's really, really <laughs> it's not true. great. Well, you could do it in real life if you wanted. We could shake hands. No, I don't and want to do that either. Fly to Cincinnati and hang out with us for a night and see what happens. Ignore her. What I'm trying to say is that we're on <laughs> Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, and you should uh, connect with us. You can find us, friend us, follow us uh, by looking up Script Shop Show on any of those platforms, and we would love to uh, interact with you. Truly, I mean, I, I assume that if you listen to the show. You're probably the kind of person that I feel like I'd maybe have an interaction with on a level of good faith that maybe you That's can't right. assume with That's other strangers. That's right, Jack. Come yeah. on. Come on, Jack. I have faith in our Come listeners. On. This whole episode is about unlikely friendships. Come That's on. That's very true. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So um, you could find us on there. And then you know what else? We love Patreon.com. And to all of our patrons who send us money on Patreon, then then you should get on there. You should send it. And we should be able to thank you profusely. Um, and, uh, you know, keep doing the good work that we do at the show. Absolutely. We would love to be able to grow the show, and uh, we've had a lot of discussions about how we can do that. And uh, it takes a little bit of reenies and roonies to do that, and we would be flattered, uh, truly flattered, if you were at all interested in supporting the show financially. So once again, patreon.com, script shop show. Uh, we're there. We would love to uh, hear from you in various ways. Uh, that's everything, right? We should probably get uh, Catalina on the line because she's been patiently waiting uh, with a little bit of a rescheduling thing going on on the show here. Catalina Alvarez. Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? Doing great, doing, doing great. great. Where are you calling us from today? Well, I'm in Yellow Springs, Ohio, where I teach at Antioch College. Well, you're just north of Cincinnati. We should have arranged to have you on the show in person. Oh, yeah. We would have loved yeah. to have you in studio. What's it like being a filmmaker in Yellow Springs, Ohio, just about an hour north of Cincinnati? <laughs> well, there's a lot of interesting history in Yellow Springs, and I sort of shot my first documentary although a famous documentarian told me that it's not a documentary mm, okay. because i directed people a lot um but uh it's a very experimental documentary because there are lots of really interesting characters and there's actually a lot of very interesting filmmakers here like have you heard of this film um american factory mm -hmm. I mean, that was the the glass production factory that uh, i think the obamas were involved in the production of that right the the film mm-hmm well, I, my understanding is that after it uh, won uh, an awards and, and stuff that the Obamas came on okay. to as producers, maybe at the distribution stage. I'm not sure. I don't think they were they were in during like production pre-production. That would make sense. Yeah. But, um, you know, don't I might be wrong about that. But that's my my impression. But, yes, they did produce it and they live right here. And one of them um, is an alum of Antioch College, Julia Reichert. And um, Steve Bognar um, used to teach at Antioch. So there's, and Ann Bolin lives in town and she taught Michael Moore how to shoot films. So wow. there's a lot of, there are a lot of interesting filmmakers here, actually. How did you find yourself there? Well, um, I had a short that was at Slamdance and I was still on Facebook at the time. And I saw on Facebook that there was a job opening that someone that I knew from Slamdance posted about, and he taught here at the time. And then uh, now he lives in Mexico. And I applied. And Antioch has a, a social justice mission that really resonates with me. And I fell in love with it here. And, uh, and I got the job. Are you an Ohioan originally? No, not at all. Not at all. Where are you from? Um, 
Well, I grew up mostly in Tennessee, but I had nine very formidable years pre-Tennessee when I mostly lived in New York City. So I moved to rural Tennessee as a half Colombian from New York City. So I didn't, I don't think I exactly, you know, fit in. Um, so I mean, that's a, that's a massive, that's a big change, geographic and cultural shift. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So I think that that did shape me very much like coming in as an outsider, um, first to some okay public schools and later to a really bad public school, but then to a private school where I read a lot of literature and fell in love with the humanities, um, that sort of saved me, um, called Swanee, uh, St. Andrew's Swanee school. Mm -hmm. That was a great school. Um, but that's sort of where I'm from. But then I, you know, I studied in Spain a year, uh, one year of high school. I repeated my senior year of high school at a like weird school in Spain where you have to stand up when the teacher comes in. Um, and Mm. they, you know, tell you if you're, opinion is right or wrong. Mm. But then I learned so much about history and what capitalism was there and how, um, what the global South is and how there are sort of oppressor countries (laughs) and, um, what colonization is. And, um, and then I went to NYU and I lived four years in Berlin after NYU. Wow. Really all over the place. That, that, that's, uh, that's quite the, the living space resume. Yeah, so I just I feel like a citizen of the world, I guess, in some ways. What has really prompted you to be exploring all these different cultures? Um, well, I grew up bilingual, um, speaking Spanish to my mother and English to my father. And I would go to Colombia every few years. And I remember... Uh, going to Columbia when I lived in Tennessee, I was just like maybe 10 or 11. And I came back from Columbia and I knew there was no way I could explain to my classmates that I had uh, sort of been to another world. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I knew that there were other worlds and I had the key to one of them through language and, and through being able to travel and not be a, not be a tourist when I traveled. But um, go and visit family. So I think that probably initially sparked my interest, but I, I guess I come from a long line of nomads because, um, my father grew up, um, as a son of, of, uh, someone in the military. So they were moving around and my mother met my father when she lived in Colombia and she ended up immigrating to the U S. So I'm very used to, um, used to that. And so, so are my parents. It, it sounds like just through your early childhood onward, you recognize some of the differences about your culture and where it was placing you in the United States and, and then have really been touched by this and how it's shaped you and your perspective growing up through your life. Um, would you agree with that? Or, or do you think it ha- maybe has been more or less of a big deal to you? Well, I found it interesting that you said um, my culture. And I was wondering what culture you were referring to, um, on the one hand, but on the other hand, I suppose every single person has a culture 
right. that you could call their culture. Their, and I, I guess think their I, mis- history. I misuse this word culture myself a lot. I like overuse it. But what, what did you mean? I think I meant history. You know, your experiences as you in the world and the experiences of your parents affecting you in the world. Right. Um, uh, I think it's been a through line. Yeah, I think it has been. And I also studied experimental theater. So that affected me. Mm-hmm. Um, that affected my films very much because when I first started filmmaking um, in Berlin, in studying in German, um, my films had a very different perspective as I came from another medium. Um, and I wasn't as interested in realism. And that's uh, the the question that was bringing me to. You talked about falling in love with the humanities and then uh, the bit of theatrical background that you uh, were getting involved with. Has it always been the sort of visual storytelling has been like sort of your way of uh, creating and and, and putting things out into the world? Has that always been your go-to? I never thought I would be a a film director. It was something that never never occurred to me, maybe because, um, I'm a woman, um, and theater seemed much more, um, uh, in, within reach. And, uh, I studied experimental theater at NYU. I suppose that's a visual medium. Um, and I, I liked to write very much before that. Okay. Um, and I did some performance, performances in Berlin, I was sort of in a queer scene and I would perform actually the Southern character, uh, at, at different, at like lady fest mm-hmm. and bars. And, and then one of my friends said, you know, you should, you should study directing at the school where I'm studying editing. I was actually thinking of applying, um, for editing or cinematography. And she said that they needed more directors, um, with original ideas like me. <laughs> I sound like I'm bragging now. Well, you're allowed but, to if um, you want to. <laughs> <laughs> so you started uh, studying directing at that school with your original ideas. And um, I guess that really just started taking you on a journey to where you are now then. Did you did you write and direct or did you direct other people's works or develop your own and your own style at that point? Well, it's interesting that we're talking about screenwriting because although I've written, um, I don't know really how uh, good a writer I am, uh, certainly in terms of narrative. Um, I started, I, I think I'm more of a poetic writer and I studied directing and there was also a writing track as well as an editing track, a cinematography track and a producing tract at, at the school. And so what we would do is we would get in groups and there would be a writer, director, and so on. So I worked um, with a fabulous writer for my first two short films at that school. And I really enjoyed that dynamic. And I didn't necessarily, you know, uh, see myself uh, writing all of my films. And lately I'm sort of the writer and I'd love to find another writer in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first film that we made was, um, about Ada Lovelace, the first computer programmer Mm -hmm. and it was a musical. And so we called it a scientific musical. That Um, That does sound awesome. Awesome. (laughs) And, uh, so I knew this person had like 
really great ideas. And she was like the co-founder of this really interesting music venue called Ausland. And um, it was just so exciting to brainstorm with her. And so we would do little exercises, like each write down a word of some type of film that we wanted to make until we came up with ideas that combined well with one another. Hmm. Um, and then the next film that we made was a bag film, which means mountain film. And it's sort of a satirical mountain film. I guess all of my films then were a little bit um, poking fun at different, at whatever genre they were. And um, so in that film, uh, a Berg film, a mountain film is all about conquering nature, but also about how I mean, maybe conquering nature isn't the right word. It, it's literally often about climbing mountains and getting to the peak of a mountain. Sure. But uh, we also drew from Heimat film. Uh, that's a genre which means homeland film. And Heidi is a very good example mm. of a homeland film. I love that movie. Yeah. That's like a, and, a childhood favorite it's a classic. of mine. Sure. Oh, wow. Grandpa. Um, yeah. Grandpa. I, I also find this all like very romantic and I... I definitely um, love being in the countryside and, and the Alps uh, are very, you know, where we filmed were so beautiful. Wow. Um, but then um, we also wanted to explore the sinister side of this genre, the, the history really, which is, um, and by the way, Das Blaue Licht, The Blue Light by um, Lenny Riefenstahl um, is another example of a mountain film. And, you know, she, she worked... Um, she was very much supported by Hitler. And a lot of these Heimat films actually uh, demonized uh, Jews yeah. and talked about uh, how cities are, you know, where evil breeds and the countryside is where everything is pure. And mm. along with cities were like the cities and Jews. <laughs> so, so we were, we added, you know, some poking fun at that. So I do want to ask you some questions about Mounier. And uh, it seems as if you've done quite a bit of stretching in terms of genres and styles and concepts and themes and metaphors, and that that could be uh, really representative of the, the complexity that we get out of this film and out of this screenplay. Because, of course, we did see the finished product at Sendependent, which we were very lucky to have. Yeah, Thank you cool. so much. Um but yeah. where, how did this story start to grow out of you? The, the very personal nature of the characters and the character story, where did, where did those things come from? It is really a long story in some ways. Um, originally, I was interested in making a feature-length film, and it became, um, it became clear that that wasn't, going to be what I could do. Mm -hmm. And the characters, well, I, I guess I'm interested in these two worlds clashing that I described that I, I sort of imagined not being able to understand one another. Uh, when I was a child, I'd come back from Colombia and, and knew I couldn't describe uh, to the people there where I had been. And I guess, you know, worlds clashing happens all the time. You know, there are immigrants, um, even in small towns. But I guess I wanted to depict that more fully in the characters and to, to develop a character that really 
portrayed that clash. Um, but also, you know, these characters, I wouldn't say they're totally realistic. I mean, this, the, the uh, I, I feel uncomfortable trying to realistically, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't think that, that they're, they're authentic. So I, I wouldn't want somebody mis- to mistake them. Speaking, speaking specifically about Munier and Maggie, the, the two sort of main characters that, that find each other in, in the course of this story at, at a, at a scrapyard. Yeah. I, yeah. Speaking about them, I, I see them a little bit as caricatures and, um, but, but they do, they're definitely, you know, a bit autobiographical. For example, Munier is what people call my mother um, in her family. Okay. And it's actually short for muñeca, which means doll. Doll, yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, one time my mother uh, had the idea to bring a cousin of mine to the U.S. And she was going to find her a job cleaning. And she was, um, you know, very excited about this. And I was kind of thinking, that sounds not so fun, you know come all the way here and she was going to be like a livid maid for one of her friends. And what ended up happening is that this person, um, like got pregnant and decided not to come. And I thought, well, you know, she didn't really want to come. And I combined that with some, some family members that I have that I've been inspired by. I won't name any particular family member, Mm -hmm. But, um, so those were the inspiration for Munya's character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I really love the importance of language in this piece. And you're talking about the different, um, people coming from two different worlds kind of, you know, it's, there's some clash, but there's also just some kind of living alongside each other. Yeah. There's a coexistence. Yeah. It. There's a coexistence that happens here. And, um, when you were writing this, how did language affect the way that you approached the writing process? Well, uh, I hope I can answer. Let me know if I have an answer to that question by the time I finish. Um, first of all, I'm thinking of subtitles. I was very interested in subtitles and the prominence of subtitles. Um, at different points, I thought that maybe they could be very flashy. I sort of scaled back and decided that the best thing was for them to look like subtitles, um, and rather than some sort of um, text, yeah. mm-hmm. like stylized. Even though Munye's subtitles are in a, in a pink colored font. Mm-hmm. They are pink, yes. Um, but the font is like a standard subtitle font, which yeah. I ultimately went with. Um, and at one point, I wasn't subtitling um, all of the characters, and I thought that was interesting. Mm. Um, but later, later I decided to go ahead and, and provide the subtitles, um, language. Well, the way that Munya speaks, um, is very garbled. So she has trouble communicating. So I think that I wanted to express this difficulty in communicating and Claire, um, oh, sorry, Claire Gunderson is the actor who plays Maggie. Mm. But Claire, the actor, actually, in real life, she's an autistic teen actor. Um, and, you, you know, that's what she has written on her website. And she loves kittens and she also loves anime. She's very um, 
open about who she is Mm -hmm. and uh you know her her way of introducing herself is also very flat right in the film the way she speaks sure um and i liked that and i see that also as uh, another what could be you know perceived as a barrier to communication in our world um and yet they i think the 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 moment of communication comes not in words like the greatest moment but um in through through this meal that they share at the end right mm-hmm. um so i think they have tr- on the one hand they have trouble communicating but on the other hand maggie and munier um you know, have this friendship, and it, and it does seem like Maggie's sort of understanding her pretty quickly um, as they as they become friends, right? I, yeah, I do love the idea of both of them having what could be conceived or perceived as um, barriers to communication, but still really forming a, a an unspeakable bond. Yeah, you know, Jack, you brought up earlier how easy it is for young people to just be friends just because they're there, yeah. just because they do. And Maggie and Munier both find their way to some sort of friendship with all these different um, unusual character traits or, or uh, you know, choices about what they're doing and how they're doing it. They, they sort of learn to speak each other's language without yeah. actually speaking each other's language. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. let's go ahead and read a piece of the screenplay for our listeners so that they can get a taste of really what we're talking about. Yeah, and specifically how these two meet, the uh, the very idea of when they do first, uh, when the introductions are made and when there's this sort of awkward getting to know you period. So listeners, if you're following along today, um, I'm going to be reading for Maggie. Um, Catalina is going to be reading for Mounier. This character in the screenplay is written as having both Spanish um, and English um, written out for her. So we'll we'll be having both of those pieces as part of the reading today. And Jack's going to be doing all of our action headings. We're starting in the middle of page three, so feel free to follow along if you'd like to. So this is first the, uh, the when, when the two, when Maggie and uh, Munier first meeting. Uh, Munier starts off the script uh, sort of storming out of a house and saying, I'm not going to be a cleaning lady. She She's young, but she's not like a, a young child. Yeah. Somewhere in the teenagers, you know, uh, maybe 12, 13, 14, I would say. Uh, Catalina, does that seem about right? Um, oh, that's interesting. No, I thought she was older, maybe in her mid-20s. Oh, ah, my. Okay, okay, I misread that completely then. Yeah, I thought that they were... Like a tweenish as well. But Maggie's younger for sure. Yes. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll come back to that. Let's put a pin yeah. in that because that it will be a really interesting little thing to chat about. So, yeah. So it starts off with Munye sort of uh, storming out of a house saying, no, I'm not going to be a cleaning lady. I like to fix things. And she's uh, walking down a street and ends up sort of in this scrapyard. And she has this affinity for fixing things, uh, particularly stoves. Uh, and she starts raiding a few uh, pieces that are at this scrapyard and, and, and taking some of the, the parts that she knows that she needs to do what she wants to do with them, which then leads to the people that are that own slash live at uh, this scrapyard to say, hey, we're not open today. Put that stuff down. It leads to a bit of a chase. Then Munier runs off and the little girl that lives there as well, or at least is there with her family as they're operating this place, uh, this Maggie, 
uh, sort of calmly walks over to where Munye has run off to, sort of maybe figures where she's at while the grown-ups are frantically trying to find this girl that was grabbing all the stuff. Maggie just kind of zeroes in on her, and this leads up to right where we're at now, where the, where the where introductions are made. Catalina, does that seem about right? Yeah, great. All right. Well, Jack, whenever you're ready, if you okay. want to take it away. Exterior, outside steel salvage fence, day. Maggie arrives to a few yards from where Munier is crouched. They each freeze on eye contact. Hi, I'm Maggie. I'm sorry, I'm not very good with introductions. Huh? Are you homeless? Okay. Maggie takes a few steps forward and crouches a few feet away from Munier. Do you speak Mexican? Munier looks at her suspiciously, and Maggie looks back. Munier points to Maggie and a spot a few feet away from herself on the ground. Exterior, outside steel salvage fence day. Munier and Maggie are seated on the ground a few feet away from one another. Munier points to an off-brand Barbie on a styrofoam plate that's wrapped in clear plastic. Mira esta muñeca. Mira esta muñeca que está aquí. Look at this doll. Look at this doll I have here. Munier presents the off-brand Barbie to Maggie. Te gusta? Do like it? You like it? You want it? Hmm. Well, thank you. That is so cute. They sit for a while while Maggie looks at the Barbie. You want to see this funny tooth I have? Maggie opens her mouth and points at her tooth. Yeah, it's kind of gross. I had it there since I was about six months old. Munier looks into her mouth. Chupale lo dedito. Chupala así. Suck on its toes. Suck him like this. Munier sucks on the toes of the Barbie to demonstrate. It's good for your teeth. It'll make your tooth better. Exterior, outside, steel salvage fence day. Maggie is sitting down, tossing the Barbie repeatedly in the air. I know you don't understand me, so I'll just say that is the ugliest doll I have ever seen. Munier is limping around in a wide circle, looking at the ground. And scene. Catalina, I'm so interested. There's so much, like, you talked about how these characters are maybe more like caricatures and not necessarily based on, you know, well-rounded individuals. But, I mean, there's so much specificity here. Right. The, the, They're the, very unique. Yeah. The, I mean, if, if I, I wasn't aware that Munier was maybe a play on, on a shorter play on the word doll, but the fact that Munier is carrying around this off-brand Barbie that's wrapped in plastic on a, a styrofoam plate, that, that seems so extremely specific. I, I'm so curious to know where that came from. <laughs> well, that's actually a prop from my previous film um, that I decided to include in this film. Oh. Um, and I think there is a connection between the two films. Um, another short uh, that I had um, called, that I directed and wrote, called Paco, um, was about a, a cat caller who sat in a, pe- uh, a park bench and he also asked people for money. Um, and he uh, had this Barbie. And actually, the Barbie comes from Colombia. And my brother and I, by the way, my brother played Paco in that short, mm-hmm. um, found it one day, you know, in a store and we thought it was so funny. And we bought it because it's, it's uh, like, sealed uh with plastic um i don't know if it's like you know wrapped in a way so that it's like very tightly bound to this styrofoam plate and is like surrounded by little barbie props and uh i i think it's interesting uh as a like a, a symbol of of um, of a 
you know, the situation of, of being a woman, maybe. Um, it's, it's not something I thought about consciously. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't like my, <laughs> my goal to, to have that um, message. But seeing Munya carrying it around and um, in the position that she's in, where she's expected to clean a house, um, I think is interesting. And it, you know, having her carrying around this weird doll and, and telling Maggie that it, it can be good for, for, for helping her with her tooth problem um, is something that one of my weird family members might have said. Okay. I actually had uh, my grandmother's sister she uh, would keep Barbies <laughs> in her closet. Um, and the keychain was like a little penis keychain. <laughs> uh-huh. they're, they're very strange people. And, you know, in this closet, there were like assortment of Barbies and like little creams. Um, so it, maybe I'm getting too off topic here. But, um, <laughs> no, I like the specificity. <laughs> what else you got there? <laughs> So, um, yeah, I, I, it, it, the Barbie in Munya is like an untold story, right? Like yeah. it's never explained. Uh, we never learn, you know, where, where she got it, where, where she's going with it. Well, you got to save that for Munye too. Maggie. Huh? You got to save that for Munye too, the sequel. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> the origin of the Barbie. Uh, Huh? The, that's when you do the origin of the Barbie doll. That's that, and that plays into the new yes. threat that's coming. It's a whole thing. I, I we can the origin of the Barbie doll. I like that as a title. <laughs> yeah, we can talk afterwards. It's fine. Okay. Right. Uh, so you know, one of the things that we were uh, had mentioned just before we got into the screenplay reading was this maybe disconnect that uh, that at least I had about uh, the age of of Meunier. and I think maybe the doll might have played a role in that for me. But I think it, it the idea of some level of I guess maybe for lack of a better word, disability that I think both Munier and uh, I mean, Maggie's got the, the actress that played Maggie w- with her autism uh, playing some kind of a role in the script, if I'm not too off base in saying that. So it's interesting that that you thought she was younger because there is a bit of sort of performance of of being an immigrant and an outsider, you know, that where she you, you can't you can't tell what her age is because she's acting so strangely. Right. And I think I do I am interested in, in exaggerating that, you know, exaggerating. Uh, but maybe it's not exaggerating. I mean, I, I read, you know, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, um, you know, Magic several realism. years ago. And what stu- stuck out to stood out to me was when he said that that he, he doesn't really think of his characters as being that fantastical they're they're all from his experience Mm -hmm. and some of my experiences with characters like this um so so i can't tell on the one hand i'm exaggerating um her on the other hand there are some very strange characters that i run into um in columbia so she she is performing uh you know if it there's like another level where she is performing the way an immigrant might be seen by an outsider to some extent mm-hmm. I, it, it's like a, a a mixture of various things so that might account for why you thought she was younger it could be yeah um who are some of your film influences because of course the work that you do 
Um, you talk about being in theater, but not typical theater, experimental a bit, and then taking those larger concepts and kind of blowing up the normal narratives of film. There's a lot of movement editing you do here. And I know, um, I th well, I think it was also shot on film. So there's a lot with movement and sound and kind of um, taking language, movement and sound and then changing it in some ways to, in a lot of ways, be way more revealing about the story itself than a person might have imagined. And so I'm just curious as to who your influences have been in terms of film work and other people that you might look up to or who do things like this. Well, I can talk about one specific filmmaker who influenced that editing technique that I used in this film, and that's um, Martin Arnold. He um, uses this a similar back forward and back looping technique um, with some old uh, 50s films. I think they're from the 50s or the 40s. Um, and he will take like 10 seconds, a 10 second excerpt of an existing film and stretch it out to about 10 minutes, sort of showing um, the unconscious layers of what those characters, uh, these, these sort of repressed Hollywood characters um, are feeling, like maybe uh, the perversity, uh, the violence that you get when you stop a movement for a second and maybe maybe I have to explain this technique a little bit to the audience um it's sort of an inter like the narrative is moving along like a normal narrative and then some music comes and it's also the the frame sort of stops and it rewinds and then it goes forward again and then mm -hmm. it rewinds and there are these really quick movements and that's me messing with the edit yeah it's almost and like so a dj I'm, at the turntable it is it is like a dj at the turntable and i'm influenced by by djs as well um i studied you know break dancing for a while and i got interested in hip-hop a little bit um so i am really interested in, in it's interested in scratching and i've even you know fantasized about scratching a video that's just a narrative film that I had made live maybe as a performance one day. Mm. Um, I don't have that software currently. But, um, yeah, so Martin Arnold is a video artist who's influenced me. Um, I think Ryan Trey Carton is another video artist who uh, has influenced me. Um, the caricatures of Roy, I think his name is Roy Anderson. He's like a... Swedish guy. Mm -hmm. And then actually the protagonist uh, who played Munier is Elizabeth DeRazzo. And she was one of the stars of a film called by Jim directed by Jim Hosking called the greasy strangler. And this film um, was playing, I think it played at fantastic fest when my short film Paco was there mm -hmm. and I watched it. And it's like a very grotesque film full of these insane characters. And that was like right up my alley. And so when I was casting for this film, um, the producer, the main producer, Rebecca Feldbin, who lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee, she like had contact to to those producers and she I don't know if she knew Elizabeth Arazzo 
And then she said, oh, well, let me ask Elizabeth DeRaza. And I was like, Elizabeth DeRaza? That sounds amazing. And I didn't even know that she was Hispanic at all. I couldn't really tell from the previous film. There was no, like, Spanish language part. But I knew she was an incredible actress. Mm -hmm. And so um, I jumped on that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. As one would, you know. As should, yeah. Yeah. So um, you guys... You produced Mounier. Um, it has been worked its way through. I know that you were doing a bit on the film festival circuit as well. You know, what what are your hopes for this project at this time? Is it, Are you looking to um, expand it? Because you had talked about maybe making it a bit of a longer story or just continuing to share the story and talk about it with audiences. Well, I... I hope it continues to screen at more places as you know as as it is programmed to the next screening there's one screening on march 22nd at oxford film oh i think i'm that's not official until january 15th but this will air after that right yeah um so um at oxford film festival it's uh playing it's also playing at revolutions per minute film festival and hopefully at many more mm-hmm. but i also do have a feature length script that has Munye as a main character a lot, as well as a few other main characters. And it also takes place in the South. And I'm considering shooting that script next year. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I'm also considering the possibility of collaborating with a writer to do something else. Um, so we'll see. That's awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. That's I like the very idea. Very exciting. Of, yeah, adding on other people. You're, you've got the it's the Catalina Alvarez cinematic universe you're building up here with the Barbie and Munier meeting other people. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So we would love to see more of your future work. Um, and if somebody else is interested in seeing more of your work or or seeing this and talking to you about it, what's the best way for somebody to be in touch? Well, um, I have so many emails, but I'm going to give the audience my original email, my very first email that I still check. Email today. Prime. <laughs> and that is Catalina334 at gmail.com. That's okay. great. Great. Thank you so and much. I do hope people keep in touch. Thank you so much. Oh, man, it is our pleasure. Yeah, thanks for submitting your work to Syndependent. Thanks for coming on the show here. We we really appreciate it. That's a, It's such a unique story, and I hope, seriously, if, if you're listening to this interview and, and without having read the script yet, uh, go back and read Munye. It's, uh, it, it's an interesting and uh, thought-provoking piece. Thanks, Catalina. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Okay. Yeah, I love how textural this piece is. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those ones that the way it was made – it, um, it it affects the story itself. Yeah. It really does. It 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 uh, reveals more about the characters and the situations, and gives you a lot of food for thought when well, you watch it. And even like production decisions, like choosing how the subtitles are going to look on the screen, which right. may be something that isn't thought of in the writing process. That's right there in the script. Mm-hmm. So clearly, I mean, Catalina put it, a lot of thought into things well before any shooting and, and you know production started. Which I like because she was talking about how. You know, her history has taken her all over the place, and she seems very thoughtful about yeah. small details like this. And so that's really neat to see show up from her mind into the screenplay and then make its way into the finished product itself. Folks, you know what I'm about to say here. If you've put a lot of thought into small details and written a script, you should send it to us. And you can do that by going on to scriptshopshow.com slash submit or checking us out on filmfreeway.com. Just look up Script Shop Show. You can submit that way as well. 
on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are Script Shop Show. You should look us up. You should find our writers because, yes. uh, like Catalina herself, she would love to continue talking with you about it. And so would we. So on Twitter, I am at your bestie Westy. And I'm at Script Shop Jack. Not to mention what a, what a, uh, what a collaborative process uh, filmmaking is. And if you, you know, one creative type can reach out to another one and connecting people, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So we'd love to be a be privy. A small part of that. A small part of your conversation. So go forth and have fun. And until next week, friends, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West. Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Show, show.